Hey there, I'm Tracy Rigdon, and this is the Contrast Project Lounge Podcast. In this podcast, each episode is a journey through captivating interviews, engaging dialogues, and personal anecdotes that explore the depths of arts, culture, politics, and everything in between. My goal? To leave you inspired, informed, and entertained. Often random, but always relevant, always real, and practically nothing is off limits. So whether you're an art aficionado, a political junkie, or simply someone seeking a fresh perspective, this podcast is for you. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. Welcome back to the program, kids. I have joining me today recurring guest, Mr. Stephen Dare. Stephen, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, Tracy. So nice to be back with you guys. Oh, it's, it's, it's been really busy. And I know you've been really busy. You were just telling me joining the, uh, the new administration in the city of Jacksonville. It's, it's uh, quite a lot of work. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, again, as much as you may like know when you follow city government and, you know, I, I wrote about it for decades, um, right. it is a completely different ballgame once you see it from the inside. Like every administration does everything almost completely different um, and they reestablish ground rules. There is this crushing amount of work and responsibility and you have to figure out like how are you going to get stuff done? And sometimes that's <laughs> not always very clear cut. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, without divulging any secrets or anything like that, uh, you know, whatever you're comfortable sharing, uh, some of the projects that you have been working on with the uh, new administration. Uh, mainly what I'm doing right now is I'm kind of spending my attention on resilience and climate change. Um, that is the issue of the next 50 years, and we are not moving fast enough for it, um, and we've got to move a lot faster. So uh, the most conservative estimate for sea level change comes from the Army Corps of Engineers. And so for the past decade or so, they have been saying that the minimum amount of sea level rise that Jacksonville should get by 2050 which is about 27 years away, about to be 26 years, is mm -hmm. one foot, right? But they have had to radically revise that minimum to two feet. So it was all, they had been assuming that we would have one foot of sea rise. Most likely we would have two. Now we are saying that it is a minimum of two, most likely that we will have four. And if we wow. don't do something to, for that, it's literally devastating. So if you think of like what four foot storm surge does to Jacksonville during a storm, imagine four foot storm surge on top of a four foot sea level rise. So wow. um, Anna and Carmelisi, who is the resiliency officer, has done a really good job of mapping out areas that will be a problem over the next 20 years. But now we have to move very fast in order to be able to do something uh, that will protect people's investments in their property, in their homes, and in the way that we do our infrastructure. So right, we have uh, right. the largest, largest amount of 
waterfront property in the United States. There's 1,200 miles of waterfront. Like if you consider all the rivers and the streams and the right. you know creeks and the what have you, including the St. Johns River, A1A, and the ocean, it's 1,200 miles. That is a lot of property. <clears throat> and we haven't adequately addressed it. So now we have to adequately address it. So a lot of time thinking about this. Right. And, and you know, when you, you had said, you know, having a, a, a four-foot storm surge on top of a four-foot sea level rise, um, and, and even thinking of the minimums, like you said, uh, it was the minimum was raised to a two-foot sea rise. Even if you think about that, um, uh, some people don't grasp uh, how much just two feet makes a difference on those waterfront properties, particularly uh, areas like, you know, San Marco, Riverside, oh, and along Black Creek, too, just outside of Jacksonville. Right. Well, you know, the Riverside would be in serious trouble. Like, yeah. it's already in serious trouble. You saw what happened to Memorial Park during this last minor storm that came through there. It broke the right. balustrade off and flooded it. So... What we're talking about is something much more substantial and inevitable. Like, even if we stopped all emissions today, this is what happens over the next 25 years. Because, you know, climatology is a very slow process. Um, we have a lot of carbon that went into the environment. And we're doing rapid melts right now in the Antarctic and in the Trans-Siberian. And that water is coming. Like, there's nothing that can change that. What we can change is where we build like we should not yeah. be building in places that we know will be flooded out in 15 years and so you know kind of to extrapolate that so if we're saying two feet probably four feet by 2050 then by 2035 we're talking about one foot probably two foot so just 15 years right just 10 right. years um and how long does it take to get a seawall or additional drainage or, you know, water capture or how long does that take to get approved? So it's going to be a humongous displacement. In my opinion, it's probably should be central to everything that we're planning, like where developments go, where public housing goes, where our schools should be developing, like, and we have not completely gotten a grasp of this yet. And that's not even including the heat islands. Um, that Anne has right. identified. You know, we're talking about extreme heat events. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, there's a variety of stuff. Tree plantings will go a long way towards that. Um, but we have got to be more thoughtful uh, about what we do and how we do it so that we're not killing the children or even the younger people um, that are alive today. Right, right. And you mentioned, so, uh, starting you know, on a the happy note. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, they're, they're, you know, like you said, planting of trees can help. Uh, the working on, uh, like you said earlier, with the uh, infrastructure, uh, it, it brings to mind, too, the uh, remediation of, of uh, water after flooding, uh, the drainage systems, the, the, the pumping stations that, uh, you know, which is all part of infrastructure. You have to have massive pumps to, you know, drain the water off of some of the roadways, some of the neighborhoods, San Marco, for instance. And we need to have more permeable spaces so that the water has somewhere to drain. 
You know, yeah. it can't just be all cement and asphalt parking lots because sure. when the water hits that, how does it drain? How does it ever get back down to the aquifer? Well, you know, it floods the shit out of your neighborhoods. So San Marco yeah. has been the incredible flooding and we haven't experienced sea level rise yet. Right. This city was yeah. built on the assumptions of a years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So and, people did not elect Donna to do small things. Now, she's got her hands full. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. The- so, um, kind of where my attention has been, my attention has been there, uh, kind of on the downtown. Um, and then in arts and uh, cultural development. So those have been kind of like the primary places I paid attention to for the past couple of months. I like to, I, I really do like to see uh, the uh, resiliency, you know, portion of, of her administration. I also, like you just said, the arts and culture, the development of that uh, in and around, in and around the city. I know that uh, a big part of the arts and culture scene uh, uh, centers around areas like like the downtown area and more would would like to see more uh, downtown uh, as well as uh, you've got a, a thriving arts community in Riverside and and uh, we know we know you know the five points area and that kind of thing but uh, it it, one of the things that I've heard people, you know, say before about the arts and culture community uh, on online and in some of some articles I've read, uh, people would like to see it in other, you know, outlying areas, not just centered around the urban core, but but more arts and culture to be spread out. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, so there are some major changes that are happening under Donna that like people will be very surprised by. It, it's not just that she added so many more millions of dollars, just baseline to the, you know, added $7 million in funding um, to the arts, just baseline before we got started with the uh, transition committee spending. But for the first time in 30 years, um, we're gonna be giving direct grants, five to $15,000 to individual artists. Now, this has not been going on since the arts funding scandal back in the 90s, mm-hmm. where National Endowment of the Arts became a, you know, kind of a political touchstone for what was the far right at that time. So we canceled funding to artists here, and the money's basically gone to building and administration and administrative costs within the arts community, but never to the actual artist. So uh, one of the bills that are part of the transition is we have 750,000 that has been earmarked to go directly to artists, painters, singers, actors, sculptors, dancers, um, so that they can afford to stay in Jacksonville and do their art and maybe make a living. Um, And then we have a second set of grants that are going to be disseminated through the six regional CPACs so that the arts uh, that will be happening under that grant will be happening by artists who live in those districts with the consultation of their area to kind of support the culture and the history of the very distinct areas of the city. It's very oh, different from what's been happening. We've yeah, been un- underfunded for the generation. So, yeah. and that will change uh, with the Deegan administration. 
That's fantastic. And and I know a lot of artists, uh, uh, hopefully one's uh, artists of all kinds, like you said, dancers, singers, painters, what have muralists. We have a thriving muralist community. Uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, they'll be able to, you know, find these grants uh, more readily. Uh, whereas I've, I've noticed that some artists just don't know where to look. Well, there hasn't been anywhere to look. So right, if they right. don't know where to look, there's a pretty good reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't it. So right. um, along with the actual programs is going to be a much higher visibility. Uh, we have like very heard very resoundingly from the hundreds of artists that uh, participated in the transition committee meeting. And by the way, mm -hmm. this is the first arts transition committee for a mayoral administration in 24 years right wow so what they heard was that they want more support and more interactivity with the local government so we will be sponsoring arts we will be talking about our poets we'll be referencing our theater in city speeches and events right we need a much closer relationship and friendship with the people that make jacksonville unique like because what are we except for the culture and the culture comes from the creative class. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. And, and that's so refreshing to hear. And, uh, you know, I, I recently, uh, interviewed, uh, Jimmy Midget, and we had talked about the, uh, the division that he's working with the, uh, diversity and inclusion and that kind of thing. And I, it, I, I really, you know, when I look at this administration, all the people underneath her, uh, you know, immediate, you know, circle, immediate team, but all the other, uh, uh, you know, pieces of that big puzzle, you know, uh, people that have, uh, you know, volunteered their time to come in and, and, you know, go to committee meetings and, you know, supply information and, and be a conduit, you know, for their own communities, I think is fantastic. Yeah, do you know she has done a really good job, and everybody with her, of bringing the people back in, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, people have been neglected for generations. Um, you know, this was the first mayor to participate in, much less be a grand marshal of the Gay Pride Parade. Like, yes. Donna was the one, right? Never had that before. Um, she is tirelessly out there. I mean, one of the first things that she did was community meetings in every single city council district. And she let people ask her unscripted questions and then gave them the straight dope right to their faces um, and heard them. And, you know, she's yeah. just, she, I guess it's from being a news anchor for so long, like she's comfortable with regular people um, and she wants to hear from them and she actually participates with them. And yeah, she's I been very careful that she's surrounded by people mm -hmm. that are just like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I really applaud her for that. Those community meetings going around town just like you said in all the all the uh, council districts. It, you know, you you just didn't see much of that going on in prior administrations. Yeah, well, you know, it it just seems so like once you see somebody do it, you're like, "Oh, of course you should've been doing that." But, you know, <laughs> it takes somebody to do it. So, and um she was charged by them. She was recharged by them. Um, and I expect that this will be true going all the way through the eight years. We haven't, you know, God preserve us. Um, <laughs> eight years. <laughs> of, the, of the administration. We're guaranteed for. So.
Right, right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, uh, you know, just like I said, you know, when I when I look at the team, the overall team, the makeup of the team and, and the uh, again, the community meetings that she does. I mean, you can't help you can't help but, you know, be impressed by what's what's happening what's going to happen, some of the changes that are going to be coming down the pike. And I know she's very much involved in, you know, another hot button topic is, you know, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the new stadium. That's, that's been a hot topic with a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. With a lot of people, you know, there, there seems to be, you know, people on both sides of the, you know, the aisle on, on that, whether they, whether, whether it's worth it, whether it's not, I personally think it's a good idea, but, yeah, you know, sports ball. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you're doing with all that. So <laughs> I will let Donna speak to that because, I mean, I, I know the word <laughs> football and quarterback, and I know Shot Khan is a. So outside of that, anything do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, It'll be it, it would be quite a landmark uh, if you if you if you honestly believe the the artistic ren, renders that we've seen of the uh, of the new you know proposed stadium. Uh, we know that Daly's when Daly's was was uh, first rendered, it actually didn't turn out the way that that was <laughs> initially rendered. But you know, it's become a very popular yeah, venue. Uh, it's it's really is. Those renderings are always like the back page of comic books from the nineteen seventies, where you really thought this, <laughs> and then you get them and can't see them. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I think you know the overall. Yeah, yeah. I think overall, you know, overall. If you look at having an entertainment district, which which is what it is, it's you know the whole sports complex thing there, um, with the entertainment venues and and one thing too to remember about a stadium like that, uh, it's not just for football. I mean, it's used throughout the year for all kinds of things, and uh, not only that, but the club the clubhouse inside the stadium, those those large conference rooms in there, they're used frightening quite frequently too so you know people rent those spaces and and it's not cheap so uh, oh, yeah. it, it, it it truly is truly is i mean the whole like i say the whole sports complex itself you know it, it really does drive a lot of money down there there's businesses down there that thrive off of the football season you know like like i said you know i'm not a a, a sports guy right um <laughs> i've I'm just not. I'm an arts guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the football team brings actual joy and like a quality of life to hundreds of thousands of people in this city, and it brings them sure. the same enjoyment that having you know kind of a top-notch symphony does to me. Like I sit down and I feel sure. like oh, this is what I was meant to do, and this is the same experience that, you know, 500,000 people have when they have the ability to go see one of those games, right? So it's, right. Uh, and how do you put a price on that type of quality of life, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I've always, uh, you know, I, I don't feel like it's a zero-sum game. 
Like, spend on the arts, spend on the sports. It's what makes the people actually enjoy their lives here. And mm -hmm. I think it's a worthwhile goal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're talking about being an arts guy and the symphony and so forth. Uh, the recent, it's not symphony related, but it is, you know, the arts. Uh, the recent renovations at the Florida Theater are nothing less than spectacular. Yeah. You know, um, I've always loved the Florida Theater. And, you know, Jacksonville used to be quite the movie town. And mm -hmm. the Florida Theater, like, a lot of people don't know that movie theaters are so grand because they took over a failing industry, opera houses. So opera houses were where people went to go entertain themselves. So they were sure. lavish. And, like you'd have these giant budgets for the time to create this big regal opera experience. And then it turns out, you know, only so many people can actually sing any of those notes and it can be <laughs> awful. So to make the film work, they were renting out to this weird technology called films and it turned out the films were paying the bills of the, the, the buildings, right? People would spend money to go see the technology when they were not going to listen to the fat lady sing necessarily. So <laughs> like that Florida is designed on that same like opera house feeling. And you just can't help but feel every time you walk into that space, you know, the sense of grandeur that they were aiming for. Yeah. Yeah. On a note of uh, uh, restoration, renovation, remodeling, what have you, right where you're standing right now, the park is about to get a makeover. Yeah. If we keep managing it the way it's been managed, though, it'll still be just as empty. <laughs> like, it's going to get... Come on. I mean, you know, know, it is... It was perfect weather, and it was gorgeous. And there were 12 people at most in this park at any time. Um, we've got to fix this idea that you can make something so uncomfortable that homeless people won't be there, but regular people will, right? When you have made something so forbidding that homeless people do not feel comfortable there, you made it uncomfortable for everybody. So I'm, I'm looking forward to not only the redesign, but also kind of an... Um, a review on how we actually treat this park. There needs to be wireless service. You need to be able to recharge your freaking devices. <clears throat> you should be able to access all of those things. There should be somewhere to sit. And have a look at this, dude. See all of this? Yeah. They've taken all the spaces where you used to be able to sit, and they put these planters on them. And if you sit against the planters, one of the employees comes over and yells at you. And, dude, you know, I'm past the yelling at me age, right? <laughs> You know, I'm on the verge of giving people the young man speech. Young man. <laughs> so I um, I really look forward to this, like being restored to a park that people actually use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would think. So that's you would think content. But oh, I I loved I loved the park when I lived down there. I went down there all the time. But that was also too when I lived down that way. Uh, uh, they actually did have seating. There was seating there at the park. Of course. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but, you know, like, one day Denise Lee came out um, and somebody called her an effing biatch really loud. And when she said something back to them, all the other people laughed at her. 
And so she made it her mission to get rid of everybody in the park. So I sat through all of those meetings. It was a year long um, of trying to figure out how to get people that Denise Lee does not like out of the park in Hemming Square. So, you know, congratulations. <laughs> well, you know, you, you would think, what I was going to say too, you would think because of the park and, and it's, still somewhat pleasant and 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 it's fun when when art walk is around you know you have art walk on you know once a month uh and the place fills up but that's once a month (laughs) (laughs) well you know you got you got city hall right there you got the you know the you got chamblin's uptown right across the street you got a few businesses there that still function and yet people that work when we walk out we're not allowed to use the <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it just blows my mind that you know you have so many people working right there in that building behind you, and 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 they can't come out there and enjoy the park for lunch or or even breakfast or a coffee break or yeah. whatever. Yeah, if, if so, if you're saying you can't recharge your devices and you can't use Wi-Fi, you're saying to every person under the thirty, stay the fuck away. Oh, sorry, I just used the F-bomb. Stay the out of the park. <laughs> and then the rickety-ass chairs that they put out, but they're kind of low. So if you're yeah. of a certain age, you're out of that chair very easily. So <laughs> past the you're also not welcome. So it leads to who, right? Like, know yeah. your audience. So anyways, I, hopefully these changes will come. And by hopefully... Uh, uh- they better. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, I, I think some of, I, I saw a couple of renderings. Of course, we're going back to the whole thing about renderings. Right. <laughs> I've seen a couple of artist renderings of what, you know, may happen to the park. And it certainly looks like a lot of trees and a lot of this and that, and maybe less, less hard surface. Uh, but, you know, right. who, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, and again, more of the climate change infrastructure. You need places for the water to go. Can't just be hard yeah. surfaces. So, oh yeah, yeah I, I yeah. actually like to remember the renderings. I like the first one the best. <laughs> so, but they're going to choose what is whatever the public goes with. So we'll see which one that is. Right, right. And going back to the planting of trees, not just in the park, but it would certainly. It would certainly be nice to see a few more trees downtown here and there. Yes. Well, and we have to. I like the heat indexing the yes. and the heat during the heat islands. Um, it's the only really effective way to deal with that, right? Because right. trees don't just provide you shade. They also pull the kind of the hot moisture up and out. And so they, whether you realize it or not, they create a gentle motion of the air upwards when you're around a tree and it cools things down sometimes up to 20 degrees uh, during the heat waves. So we're going to, there's 22 million that we have to spend from the tree fund, uh, but we're going to have to spend more than that in order to get the city adequately covered. And we need to start that now because trees notoriously take a while to grow. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah. I know that a lot of neighborhoods, walking neighborhoods uh, around the country, have have really stepped up their game with their tree planting. Uh, whereas, you know, sometimes there's a median, you know, right down the middle of a city street 
that used to be basically hard surface itself. Not you know, and they've taken and put they've taken and and planted trees all all up in those things, and a lot of neighborhoods have seen a big difference already. Right. Well, yeah, it's it's effective. It is an effective way to deal with it, and it's gonna you know it's gonna get hotter, and it's not gonna get cooler. So we are gonna need all of the help that we can get to create those heat bubbles uh, to keep those heat bubbles from being created that kill people. Because, you know, how many people died in this last heat wave that swept through the Southwest? Yeah. Right. You know, got burns all over her body because she fell in a parking lot and the asphalt burned her. So, and she couldn't mm. get up quickly enough. So, third degree burns all over her body. Wow. So, <clears throat> that, is not, uh, that is not a good future. And we need to be planning for that now. And... And, you know, it's interesting that you brought up that the heat of the pavement, not only uh, not only is it, you know, <laughs> dangerous for humans, it's dangerous for animals. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Can you imagine like dogs hot footing it across those parking lots? Yeah. So, yeah, when the when you reach the point that the asphalt is soft and gooey, it is hot. It's killing hot. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. It sure is. I'm going to go with one one more topic, Stephen, so you can get back to your busy schedule. Uh, we were talking about, yeah. of course, on the on the on the topic of resilience and 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 the water levels and that kind of thing. Uh, I'll be soon talking to uh, uh, the uh, Jacksonville St. John's Riverkeeper. Uh, we'll be talking to Miss oh, Reinemann, uh, Miss Reinemann, and uh, we're going to bring uh, we're going to be talking about that. Uh, and one of the things that's interesting to me that I just bring up to you, um, not only the, you know, infrastructure, but some of the watershed areas uh, that are being destroyed yes. by, you know, construction. Uh, Boney Road comes to mind. Right. Yeah, I, actually, you know, you may want to talk with Angela Tenbrock as well. She is also quite up on that subject and brilliant on these things in general. So, if when you talk to Lisa, get her recipe for mint juleps. <laughs> so, I will. When I was downtown in '99, um, I got interested in Springfield, right? Uh, and Lisa had already lived there in the house that she lives now, and so she invited us over to kind of see what Springfield was like. Um, and made the best goddamn mint juleps that you have ever had in your life um, and had that recipe down pat. I'm going to make a note of that. I'll definitely have to ask her. <laughs> Stephen, it's, it's, been, it's been a joy talking to you once again. Uh, you're welcome here on this program anytime. And if you have a burning topic that comes up and you want to share it with us, you just let me know. All right. Thank you, Tracy. And thanks, everybody, for watching. This is amazing stuff you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stick around for just a second. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Another fantastic episode of the podcast. You can find us on all 
the social media platforms, wherever you serve, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter X, threads, wherever. Don't forget to like, share, and comment. And on our YouTube channel, don't forget to like, share, comment, and smash that subscribe button. If you're streaming audio for the podcast, you can find us wherever you get your favorite podcast programs. In the meantime, I like to tell everybody, take care of yourselves and each other. Until next time. Peace.